um, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Joel asked me if I would come up and speak to the women today on the subject of submission to and respect for our husbands. Husbands, you can listen if you promise that later in this week you won't say, ah, remember what she said Sunday. Before I really get started, I wanted to mention the difference that you will see in Hunter's and my presentation styles. As you all know, he walks around, talks right to you, tells you great stories, brings us laughter, brings us tears. I basically read what I typed this week. I stay pretty much right here behind this podium, and I'm movement-free for the most part. But I thought it was important to be honest with you and let you know why we have these differences. Hunter never learned how to type. <laughs> People hate the word submission. But you know, if you think of your marriage like a dance, God's instructions to the female partner for the dance are, hey, you want to dance? Follow his lead. The grace of the dance isn't all dependent on how well he can dance, but partially on your ability to follow his lead. God tells us submit to the leadership of our husbands. It's a curse. It was a curse placed on us in Genesis. In chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That word desire is like a conquering in the Hebrew, it's only used one other place in the scripture, and that's in Genesis 4, uh, verse 7, where it says, Sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. It's to totally take you over. Part of that curse is our wanting to take the lead in the relationship with our husbands, just like Eve took the lead in the garden. I hear some people say, I will only submit to God. But submission is something that every person, male and female, is required to do by God. The scriptures say that young men are to submit to older men in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. 
It says everyone must submit to the authority of their leaders in Hebrews 13, 17. And all of us are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility and considering others better than ourselves. Each of us, it says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, should not look only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Submission is at God's request. It apparently is very important from his perspective. He seems to have a better perspective in general on my life, and I decided that I should look closely at the five New Testament scriptures he's put in front of my face dealing with submission to my husband. The scriptures are the one, of course, that we've already looked at in Ephesians, but also 1 Peter uh, 3, 1 through 6 says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Not outward adornment, but a gentle, quiet spirit. In Colossians 3.18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. In Titus 2, 4 and 5, it says, Let the older women train the younger ones. So it's something you can learn. Train the younger ones to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 12 says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Let's face it, this topic's just about as popular as martyrdom, and there's some of you sitting out there that say, I would rather die. (laughs) But for those of us who want to look a little deeper and try to see what the Lord has for us in this area, let's talk about what submission is not. Sometimes if we have a wrong impression of a word's meaning, it stops us from going with it when maybe we would have chosen to had we known what it was really all about. The first thing submission is not is a wife being a doormat, a slave, or a wimp. Submission is a tough thing. Wimps can't submit. Submission is something that comes from the inside, and it's not an outside force. Jesus found submitting unpleasant initially when he said, Please let this pass cut from me, this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thine be done. Fortunately, he said it better than I did there. Jesus was no wimp. Few things that we are asked to do are more challenging than sacrificing self. Don't confuse, though, self-sacrifice with self-effacement. One is from strength, and the other is from weakness. If you're the type of person who just generally feels like you're a bug on the windshield of life, and everything with you is just okay because it doesn't matter anyway and however you want to do it, then that's not really being submissive. You might want to look deep inside yourself to see if you're a wimp disguising yourself as a submissive person. When you choose consciously to submit to your husband's authority because of Christ, you don't feel mowed down by your husband's choices. You feel empowered by the strength to follow. Another thing submission is not 
Submission doesn't mean that you don't ever say anything to your husband that he might disagree with or not be anxious to hear. Marriage is an accountable relationship. There are scriptures that deal with wives helping their husbands get a better perspective. Judges 13, verses 21 through 23, has a good example of this. It's a story about Samson's parents before Samson comes along. An angel of the Lord appears to Manoah and to his wife, and they don't know it's an angel. But when Manoah figures it out, he says to his wife, We are doomed to die. We have just seen God. But his wife answers him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, then would he have accepted our offerings? And would he have shown us all these things to reveal who he was? And would he have told us all these things about Samson? I think not. See that she confronts him honestly and in love. She doesn't berate her husband for his thoughts. She doesn't call him stupid. She doesn't buy a t-shirt that reads, The more I know about men, the better I like my dog. She just plain tells him. It is important to say what you think. It's important to say it once. You go much more than that, and you're into nagging. Pretty much we know, if we've been married more than a week, what areas we're going to disagree in. Those are the temptation zones, when we want to take the power away. Our temptation zone is injuries. I think that injuries are horrible. I hate them. Hunter thinks injuries build character. I have to really be careful in this area because if someone gets knocked off a bike and is bleeding all over the place or their fingers are going like this or their ankles are swollen or their knees are falling apart, my first inclination is to race to the hospital emergency room and have $420 worth of x-rays taken immediately. And Hunter's going, oh, it's good for him. I have to be real careful in this area because my temptation is, oh yeah, I'll prove it's broken. I'll prove he's going to bleed to death. I'll take him there and show you. I have to decide, am I trying to conquer a problem here or am I trying to conquer my husband in this area? Each of these uh, temptation zones are different for each couple. You need to think through what are the areas that you know you're going to clash in because those are the ones that you'll be most tempted to try to take over. Submission also does not mean that you are inferior. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says that Jesus continued in submission to his parents. Jesus certainly was not inferior to Mary and Joseph. Also, Jesus certainly was not inferior to God, but the scriptures assert an order in the Trinity while Jesus was on the earth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, one woman, and God is the head of Christ. This doesn't teach us that Christ is inferior to God, but it's used to show us a division of labor and responsibility. There's one thing more that submission is not. Submission is not obeying. Obeying is not used in connection with wives in the scripture. Obeying is used in connection with children for their parents. It's used in connection with all men obeying governmental authority. 
states and the government can assert authority over us physically, mentally, however, and the scriptures say it'll have God's blessing. But a husband cannot, with God's blessing, make his wife submit. That's something that she has to do. It has to come from inside herself. Say that you are um, in some way offended by your husband beyond a normal situation, say physical abuse or something. And there is a way in Scripture to deal with those things that really are beyond us. One of those is in Matthew 18 where it tells us how to deal with a brother who offends us. The first thing that you can do is confront him with what he's done, and hopefully he'll ask your forgiveness and it'll be over and done with and never happen again. If it happens a second time, though, the scriptures say, take one or two with you so that you'll have witnesses. If it happens then a third time, it says, bring it to the church. And that's what you do. You bring it to the church, to the elders, and you let them deal with an offending, believing, sinful spouse the third time around. So what is submission? It's really one thing only. It's a spiritual matter. Remember Ephesians 5.22 where it says, Submit as unto the Lord. Think about this. How many times in your prayer life have you said, Lord, if I just knew what you wanted, if you would just tell me what you want me to do, I'd be glad to do anything. And in the scripture, it is very clear that if you're a wife, he is asking you to submit to your husband's leadership. It's not because that God is mean and wants to watch you cringe or he thinks it's funny to see how you'll respond to that request. It's like everything else that he asks of us. He knows it works, and he knows that ultimately we'll be the most happy and complete if we follow through with that plan. Before Joel talks with the men, let me quickly share with you about verse 33 in the Ephesians passage. It says, respect your husbands. I believe respect is basically what it says it is. Respect. It's looking again. Respect. But when you look at him this time, look at him from God's perspective. The first thing we need to realize as wives is respect is very important to a man because he's one that generally aims for achievement. Your respect may well bring him closer to you in intimacy than your love. For those of you in a difficult situation where there are several things or even just one thing that you don't respect, you may literally have to look again or respect him through God's values. And that will only come through your own growing so close to God that you actually have the, the mind of Christ yourself, and it can happen. I realize that what I've said is not going to come naturally for any of us. It's important for us to take some time to dedicate ourselves to what God needs us to be. Originally we had a song here, but I, I reckon... I, uh... I remember that we didn't learn it this service, so I take it we're not going to have it right now. I'm going to go over here. That's a bad spot. So, men, 
You feeling pretty good that God's giving you some leadership responsibility here? All right. Listen up. First thing that's important to realize is that God simply provides order in society so that we don't have to go back to square one every time. If there is no authority in society, then every issue becomes a political issue. If there is no authority in the family, then every problem we face, it's every person for themselves trying to grab power. So God gives us authority not so that someone can feel good and someone feel bad. God gives us authority so that we can go on to the important issues and not start out at square one every time. It's important just to say those matters are settled. Now let's get to the point here. So therefore God tries to prevent a power struggle within a family by giving us an authority structure. However, men, I want you to remember how this scripture reads. The only power you have is the power to sacrifice yourself. God does not give you power to use. God does not give you life to add to, only life to lay down for your family. Only life to sacrifice. That is to say, your power is not a privilege, it's a responsibility. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. It's in that character that God makes you responsible to be the spiritual leader of your household. There is so much difference between being a leader and being a boss. There is nothing so easy or mechanical in scripture as being a boss. God always, always calls us to be a leader. Always. Even if you're in a secular position of authority, he's not merely calling you to be a boss. He's calling you to be a leader. And that is a work of profound depth. And that is a responsibility with which we can get on our face and ask God for power to work through. So therefore, I want just to, just to begin by saying to you men, yes, you are, in God's eyes, responsible for the leadership of that family. But that will cost you much more than it gives you. And I want you to get used to that idea right now. Secondly, and this will only be caught by a few of us. But I don't want you to let go of it just because you don't understand it right now. I want you to see what he talks about as the responsibility for men in the relationship. I want you to see what he sees as the ideal for marriage. Now, let me tell you this. Every time, I realize that we are talking idealistically this morning. I realize there are many problems that you have in your marriage that you're sitting there saying... Man, they can't know what I'm going through. But I want you to know that every time a problem was brought to Jesus, he spoke in ideals. Every time 
They brought to Jesus the issue of divorce. He did not try to negotiate who was right and who was wrong. What did he do? He presented again the original ideal of marriage. Yes, Moses has granted you that right because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, he said, it was not so. And then he would repeat the scripture that you have just read in Ephesians and that is, that is written all over the New Testament. That a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one person. One person. Now you say, that's very idealistic. And I say, yes, that's very idealistic. And God never, ever takes the ideal away from us. It's always there as a promise. It's always there as a goal. And so therefore, what's he talking about? Well, there are some mechanics to loving your wives, husbands. As a matter of fact, there are quite a few mechanics you probably need to learn. Because for men, love is the unnatural act. It is not easy for a man to love in the ways that women can receive love. Because men and women are very different. And anything you have heard in culture that says to you that men and women are wired the same, I want you, I want you just to take it very cautiously and say, well, maybe some of that's true, but not all of it. Quite, quite the opposite. We're wired differently. Now, let me tell you where some of that comes from. All of it comes from the way God created us, but some of it comes from our ancestry. I do not believe in the theology of evolution. But I do believe in the sociobiology of evolution. I do believe that some traits have been handed down to us genetically and in our habits by our ancestors. Let me take you back a few thousand years when we lived in tribes together. And let me take you into a culture of a tribe, just briefly. Every day in that tribe, those women would gather together in order to do the tasks, to watch the children, to, to crush the grain, to make food for the families and to help the, the tribe survive. And very, very instrumental to that gathering together was conversation. And so the women had many years and hundreds and hundreds of years of talking with each other in connection with their providing for the nurturance of the family. Meanwhile, what did the men do? The men went out to hunt. And the men hunted with primitive weapons that demanded that they get close to the animal that they were hunting without detection. Now, what is the last thing you do when you are hunting an animal together and you are creeping up on him and your goal is to provide for the family? What's the last thing you do together? Talk. You don't talk. You go side by side in silence to achieve a goal. To this day. Men many times appreciate someone who will work beside them toward a certain goal. They are not natural talkers. It does not come as easily for them. And so therefore, men, I say to you, 
that women do need conversation. That's how they, I mean, when you look at arguments, very few men talk their way through an argument. Most men get frustrated and stomp out or form some provision that they can be alone to think. Why? Because women are not afraid of making mistakes verbally. They can say, well, no, this, you know, they can just start talking and some way work their way to the solution, through the solution of a problem. Men hunt literally for the solution in silence. And when they find what they think is the solution, they come and present it to their wives. <laughs> Honest to goodness. A man feels like before he talks, he has to have the answer. He has to already have captured the answer for his wife. So therefore, men, I say to you, the rudiments of a relationship in the way that a woman can receive many times involve conversation about things you'd rather not discuss. Let me say to you, you don't have to have the answer. It's just important for you to say something sometimes. I know how you're wired, but it's important for you to talk. Now, here's the deeper truth still. Here's the profound thing that God wants us to understand. That so many of us do not. When God compares a marriage to Christ in the church... And when the scripture says this is a profound mystery, he is talking about a spiritual dynamic that many of us never miss because we're still back on the elementary things of life. We're still back on the, well, you know, how are the finances going? And back to the psychological relationship and the social relationship and all that kind of stuff. There's a deep spiritual relationship that God would have for us. And men... Lest you think that you can let down after you have conquered your wife. After you have captured your game. And that's what many men do. After the marriage is done, they've achieved what they wanted. And so they go on to other game or other games, whether it be in business or whatever. But let me say to you, you are missing the point of what God has for you. You are missing the ultimate achievement. Do you know something? Bulimia, not the Greek word bulima, God's will, but bulimia, the binging and purging syndrome that is making itself known as an eating disorder in our society is much more than an eating disorder. And whereas physically many more women experience this than men, emotionally many more men experience it than women. Because if you will think of that symbol, you will see men that you are caught up, many of us are caught up in the wanting to partake but never letting it become a part of us. We want the women to be around us, but not at one with us. Many of you are in relationships 
with women who you love in a sense, but you're emotionally starving to death. How is that? You have not yet come to the place where it says in Scripture that we, like Christ in the church, become inseparable. We have such a profound love that we actually partake of one another and actually become a part of each other's character. If you want a scripture reference for this, you can look at 2 Peter 1.4, where it talks about believers partaking of the nature of God. Now there's a love that the church has for God that is so profound and is so all-inclusive that the believer and the Lord can never be separated. You know, I hear men in different ways say, I don't want to love that much because I could be hurt. What if something would happen to her? What if something would happen to us? Could I say to you, that you miss the point entirely. If you partake of the nature of your spouse, if she becomes a part of your life so that she is you, and there is a very difficult time drawing a line between you, you will never be separated from her. She could die tomorrow. She would still live in you. You will never go without her. She could be gone tomorrow. And anyone who loved you subsequently would really be loving her as well. Because she would be that much a part of who you are. You see the profundity, the kind of love God wants for all of us in our marriages. And I speak this not just to the people who are already married. I speak to all of you. If God will bring you a husband or a wife someday. He does not want you just to have what is on in the world as a marriage. As the chance to have a partnership. He wants you to have a marriage that gives you a totally new person. Now, I said before that only a few will catch this. Because like many other things in this life, spiritual maturity does not come in one area without coming in all areas. In order to really do this, you must grow with the Lord so that God can do it in your life for you. It is important for us to note that the only, only the spirit can be born of the spirit. Only spiritual things can be born of the spiritual things. And so therefore, if you try to do this just emotionally, or because you think it sounds neat, or that's always what you've always wanted, you will be again and again and again frustrated. But once you ask God and commit to God in your life that you will have that kind of relationship with your spouse and you will look at her and partake of her and let her, not your marriage, this isn't the same thing as working on your marriage. 
Working on your marriage is a mechanical thing. This is not the same thing as improving your relationship. That's a mechanical thing. In this, you never lose sight of the person. You never take your eyes off of the person and who she really is. You even get past what she does. You even get past um, um, what she says. To look at her as God sees her. And you are profoundly grateful to have that kind of an opportunity to see her in that way. Now, if you walk out of here and say, what in the world was he talking about? And I know many of you will. Just know that I've planted a seed today. And know, men, that God will keep a profound hunger in your life until you've achieved what I've just told you about in your marriage. If it takes you 20 years and you're still walking with the Lord and you still feel, you know, there's something else in my marriage I haven't quite gotten yet. You've heard about it today. And so... I want you to pray. I want you right now to pray that God will let you partake of the nature of your wife all of your days so that you two could literally become one person spiritually. And that God would help you get out of this square one business and beyond the elemental things and get on to a life of profound living. Let me pray with you. Let me pray with all of you. First of all, I want to pray for any of you who have not yet met Jesus Christ. Because without him, without God living in you, all that I have just said is impossible. It's folly. It sounds like silliness to live in such a spiritual way. So I want to give everyone who has not yet accepted Jesus Christ... As their Lord and Savior, that is, does not have God living inside of them in person. I want you to give, the, give you the opportunity right now to let that happen. And I want you, please, if this, if this is your morning to accept Christ, to tell someone about it. To, to come up and tell me about it. Or tell someone else that you see because the Lord says or the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord then you shall be saved. Okay? So it's very important that you say to somebody it's also important that you contact someone one of us so that we can help you grow from here because this church is all about spiritual maturity and we want you to come to full maturity in Christ Ephesians 4.13 so let me pray that, but then let the second part of your prayer be for those of you who have already met Christ and have a ways yet to go. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there are some folks here this morning who have no idea what I just said, but they want it. 
have no idea how to get there, but they want it. Because you have placed in their hearts before they ever got here from a long time ago a hunger for you, for true intimacy, for something more than a relationship that can break down. And so for those this morning who want to make this the day that you come into their lives, let them pray with me in their hearts. Lord Jesus, I am separated from you. I have been separated from God by my sin, by my rebellion. And today I want to make peace with God and I want God to come and live in me. So I accept the forgiveness that you made for me on the cross. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to come and live in my heart and make of my life whatever you want of it. Not only in my relationships, but in myself. And I will follow you. And for the rest of us, Lord, Knowing that we are not there yet. Not that we have attained it yet. But forgetting the things that lie behind and pressing on toward the greater call, the upward call of Christ. This day we invite you again, not to just be resident, but to be president of our lives. And show us how to love. Not in terms of rights or in terms of self or in terms of actualization, but in terms of love. Help us to partake of one another in such a dear and sweet and tender way that we know what it's like to live together, that we know what it's like to be a new person. As the scripture says, guide us, and we will follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.